you want to grab your Bible, we're continuing our short series of studies about Jesus as he is revealed in the book of Revelation. And when we began this study on the book of Revelation, we said this, certainly there are end time prophetic realities in the book of Revelation. I'm not saying that there aren't. There are many, many prophecies and things that, that like that in there. But what I've been saying is that many people have so concentrated on those end time realities, either in a textbook way, analyzing just the living daylights out of it, out of the book of Revelation and losing the power, or others have allowed the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, what a, the smoky grandeur of the book of Revelation to just terrify them. So that when we come to some war or some cataclysm occurs, you know, something like the situation in Ukraine, for example, or, uh, you know, immediately what happens is voices rise to proclaim what it means in light of the book of Revelation. And then we impose our own contemporary situation, interpretations, uh, and understandings and applications that the book of Revelation may not bear. For example, we've talked about how the, the fact that during World War II, some saw Hitler as the beast and Mussolini as the false prophet. And they, they said, we know this 100%. They just started adding it up. This nation is joined to that nation, and that nation is joined to this nation. And they just started making all that happen in their minds. And, and, and we know that, that that's not the case. You'll hear speakers on television who have written books or whatever, and they, they take our own contemporary situation, and then they cut and paste the book of Revelation until they can make it fit in some way that's clear in their minds. It's like a one man I heard about, he was being interviewed on television uh, one time, and, and he, was just, he was just so far out to lunch. I mean, he was one of those people, you know what I'm talking about, the porch light is on, but nobody's home. You know, that kind of person. And uh, it, he was just, it was just unbelievable. This was, interview took place just after the 9-11 happened. And uh, he, he was announcing in this interview on television that scientists had discovered that December 25th isn't really the birthday of Jesus. Well, well we know that. It doesn't take scientists to figure that out. I mean, you, you realize that's not in the Bible, don't you? And you know, on December 25th, Christmas morning, the shepherd and the wise men all got up and opened their presents from Santa and then went down to the manger. <laughs> That's not there. We're on the same page, right? We know that December 25th was just a day chosen for different reasons to honor the birth of Christ. Well, anyway, this guy in the interview said, scientists have discovered that December 25th isn't the birthday of Jesus and that it's actually, this is what he said, actually, he said, it's 9-11. <laughs> it was one of those awkward moments in television ministry where the, the host just wants to look at the camera, you know, and go, mm, mm, mm. no, <laughs> you know, cut, go, go commercial, something. You don't know what to do in that moment, so you just sit there and go, mm, mm, mm. And, and that's really what I'm trying to say to you. When you, when you get into global situations and crises, People want to torture the book of Revelation until it brings some immediate explanation of the moment in history in which they are standing. But the problem is, the clouds of history are racing across the sky so fast now that it's hard to figure out. Things are moving so quickly. There, there are people who have hard and fast theories. You know, 
You, I don't know if you've been around long enough to remember this, but back in the early 80s especially, um, the, the, there were people who talked about the European Union. And they said, okay, the, the European Union is definitely 100% the revived Roman Empire of the book of Revelation. That's the rise of the 10 kingdoms. And, you know, in 1981, that was when they added the 10th nation to the European Union. So they said, this is the 10 nations. This is the, this is the revived Roman Empire, all this stuff. Well, the problem is, I think it was in 87, they started adding more nations. And now all of a sudden the math doesn't fit. And so, you know, so every time some new nation joins or somebody withdraws, they have to change their entire approach to it. So right now there are 27 nations in the European Union, and it's really hard to make that fit the rise of the 10 kingdoms in the book of Revelation. So they say, oh, okay, well, England has dropped out. Well, these three only count as one, so you take away two, and well, France counts for zero, so we don't have to count them at all. And, uh, and you know, you add six, divide by your IQ, and that gives you the revived Roman Empire. You know, I, I, now listen, I'm not telling you that the EU isn't what these people are saying. I'm only telling you that I don't know, and neither do they. That's the only thing I'm telling you. I don't know. So when we come to the passage that we're going to read tonight, it's this passage, there's, there's so much imagery in it that it almost invites us into speculation because of its emphasis on Babylon, which is the ancient city that was the capital of the Babylonian Empire located in what is now modern day Iraq. So th this passage that we're reading today almost invites us to say, oh, oh, well then that, that explains this. So, you know, I mean, and people in, in recent history, they, they read this about Babylon and they said, ah, oh, Saddam Hussein, he's obviously the beast because he's rebuilding Babylon. I don't know if you knew he was doing that. He was, he was rebuilding the ancient city of Babylon. So, and so they said that. But here's what I'm trying to say about this whole thing. You don't want to wind up in a situation where you're having to change your whole theory every time you pick a newspaper up. You know, so back then they were like, okay, 100%, it's Saddam Hussein, it's, it's 100% him. Okay, well, then George W. Bush and the soldiers put a bullet in his brain. And, okay, so it's not Saddam Hussein. However, we definitely know it's whoever, fill in the blank. Don't get in a situation where you're having to change your entire approach to and interpretation of the book of Revelation based on tomorrow's headlines. Is, is this making sense to anybody? Yes. On the other hand... Don't let it scare the wits out of you when you read the book of Revelation. You know, the book of Revelation is not God's horror story for the church. You know, I, I think a lot of Christians, they're like, let's not read the book of Revelation. It scares the wit out of me. You know, the, the book of Revelation is, is not Jesus telling scary stories to kids around a, a campfire. There is a dragon. Ooh, you know, that's not what's going on there. Uh, and I'm telling you, there are people who go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and somebody, somebody says, tonight in church, we're going to preach on the book of Revelation, and they're like, ooh, scary time. Well, that's, that's not the point of the book of Revelation. The entire point is that after you see the dragon, there's another sight. After you see the false prophet, there's another sight. After you see the war and famine and pestilence, after you've seen all the horrors that the earth and the devil can produce, there's still something else to see. That's the whole point of the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a love letter to the church that has to, uh, to, the church that has to live through times of tribulation. So this is not 
intended to scare you. This is meant to encourage you when you read the book of Revelation. Now, I know all of that sounds like the message for tonight, but that's not the message. That's just the introduction. So take your Bible, and I want you to, I want you to read several passages with me. We're going to do what we've done the last couple of weeks. We're going to skip several, several passages. We're going to skip down and skip around a little bit just for the sake of time. And so, uh, so grab your Bible or your phone, wherever your Bible is, and uh, so you can stay with me. We're going to begin in chapter 14, verses 6 through 8, and then we're going to go there from sep- to 17, then to chapter 18, then to 19. So Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 8. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the eternal gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. He said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon. It's really not that hard of a word. That great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her sexual immorality. Now now turn to chapter 17, where we read verses 1 through 6 and then 15 through 18. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed adultery. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. Then he carried carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filth of her sexual immorality. On her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon, the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of all and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. That is to say, you could say I was astonished or I was shocked, if you, would, if you want to say it like that. Now to verse 15. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the, pro- where the prostitute sits and are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. These ten horns are the beast which you, which you saw will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to be one of, and to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now to chapter 18 or reverses one through three. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. He cried out with he cried out mightily with a loud voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit and a haunt for every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk on the wine of the earth of her sexual immorality. The kings of the earth have committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now down to verse nine. The kings of the earth who have committed adultery and lived luxuriously with her will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Now look at verses 20 through 24, same chapter, verse chapter 18. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and saints and apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you against her. 
Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, With such violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more. The sound of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall shine in you no more, and the voice of bridegroom and a bride shall be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of prophets and, the, and, and of saints and of all who were slain in the earth. Now chapter 19, we'll just read the first seven verses. After these things, I heard a great sound of many people in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Again, they said, Hallelujah, for smoke, her smoke rises forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the sound of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. All right, that's a lot. A lot of unusual imagery in there. And I think we, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what in the world could this possibly mean to us? I want to start by saying this. How you view anything depends on where you stand right now. How you view anything depends on where you stand. I heard the story of a man named Gene. He was a prisoner in the federal, federal penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia. Georgia. There was a young minister in it, from Atlanta who went to, into the prison once, once a week. He would go in there with a ministry called Yoke Fellows to visit the, the prisoners. And the, this minister became deep friends with a number of the Christians in the prison as, as, he, as he learned from them and they learned from him. And this minister came, became very close friends with a, with a murderer named Gene. Gene had shot two people. And he was there for, on a very long sentence. The, the, this minister went there week after week after week, and Gene and this minister became close friends. Gene was, Gene was a lot older than, this, than his minister friend. Gene was, by this time, in his late 50s, and, and by that time had spent most of his life in prison. Well, the day eventually came when Gene was paroled and he was released from the penitentiary, he was put on a bus near the prison, was to go back to the state of North Carolina. He had no family. He had no friends. He had no one to meet him. So this young minister went down to meet him on the day of his release. That day it was gray and cold and it was just, just pouring rain. And Gene went through all the processing and he came out of that, uh, out of that prison and in a cheap suit, you know, that the government gives you when you're released. And he had a few dollars in his pocket that they gave him. And he had a tiny little suitcase that looked like it was made out of cardboard. And he came out on the front steps of that penitentiary, penitentiary and it was just pouring rain. And his young minister friend looked at him and said, Gene, I, I, just, I just hate it that on your first day out, it's raining. 
And Gene looked at, at his friend like he was speaking Russian. I mean, he, he just stepped out onto the front steps of that federal penitentiary and he put his little suitcase down and he opened up his arms and leaned back and stuck his tongue out and he said, are you crazy? Are you crazy? I've waited 30 years to stand in the rain. And it dawns on me when I hear that story that what is one man's horror story is another man's illumination. What is one man's moment of fear is another man's moment of delight. I mean, how many of us would have ever thought to step out onto the steps and say, oh, the wonderful privilege to stand on my own without handcuffs and nobody watching me and to just stand in the rain. Well, you know, the, the book of Revelation is a study of contrast, which is what we're talking about. What, what one, man's, uh, one man's horror is another man's joy. And the book of Revelation is a study of con in contrast. The fall of Babylon, Babylon, mystery of Babylon, is grieved, uh, bewailed, mourned, and regretted by the merchants and kings of the earth who have committed fornication with her. And they weep and cry as the smoke of her destruction curls into the heavens as, as the city of Babylon is destroyed by fire from heaven. But I think we have to ask ourselves when we look at this and all what we're reading, I think it all starts by asking the question, what does Babylon mean? What does Babylon mean? Does, does it mean the ancient city of Babylon near the city of, current city of Baghdad? I, I'm not telling you it doesn't. I'm, I'm just not able to tell you that it does. I don't think it does. I don't think it was referring to specifically to the real city. I think there are some elements here that give us some insight. The, the first is, is that Babylon here is called Mystery Babylon. And I think Mystery Babylon, when you say that, it, it tends to speak of a of a spiritual application, not a physical one, because I, I don't know that anybody here would say, you know, call, refer to Marion and say, Mystery Marion. You know, that would be kind of odd. People would look at you like, uh, did you take your medication today? What's going on with you? You know, uh, but, but Marion is a specific place, geographical, physical. So, but, but because he refer, refers to it as mystery Babylon, I, I think it's talking about a different kind of issue altogether. Furthermore, Babylon is called the mother of prostitutes and the, and the issue of fornication is constantly raised. I don't know if you, don't know if you noticed that, that it was said over and over again, this whole idea of, of fornication and adultery and that sort of thing, how the kings of the earth had committed fornication with her. Now, I want you to remember this. The, in many ways, the book of Revelation is much more an Old Testament book than it is a New Testament book. Uh, it, it, it has the, that prophetic and apocalyptic sound to it, so, like Daniel and Ezekiel in the Old Testament. So I think it needs to be somewhat viewed in that, in that light. And most of the time in the Old Testament, the, the whole issue of fornication and adultery refers in the prophets, I'm talking specifically, it refers not to sexual evil, but to spiritual fornication. When the people of Israel would forsake the God to whom Israel was married, and they'd have affairs with, uh, with idols. That was the idea behind it. In, in the prophets of the Old Testament, Israel is, is constantly denounced. You know, one of them even said, you have committed fornication under every green tree and on every hillside. And it doesn't mean that they slept with other people all over the place. It's referring uh, to their worship of false idols 
So it's talking about spiritual adultery and fornication. Therefore, I think mystery Babylon seems to have to do with false religion and with spiritual fornication. So what does that mean when you begin to apply that to this? Well, there, there are some that will tell you without hesitation that it's referring to the Roman Catholic Church. In, in, in fact, in the, I don't know if any of you have a, the old Schofield reference Bible, uh, but Dr. Schofield in his notes states as a fact, not as an idea, not as a theory or a concept, but he states as a fact that, that the prostitute, uh, the woman, uh, the, the whore of Babylon means the, Ro the Roman church. He, he says, it, quote, I mean, in the footnotes, it says, this definitely refers to the papacy. Well, we don't know that. And neither did Schofield when he wrote that back in the 20s. I just want to say to you that, that when, it's talking, uh, when it's talking about that, it, it could mean many different things. I mean, does it mean the New Age movement? It doesn't mean Islam. It doesn't mean apostate Christianity. But it has to do with some sort of false religion, some, something that's turning the hearts of people away from God to, to, to false worship. And I, I think it, that it means the, the power of the mystery of false religion, whatever that religion might be. It talks about the nations drunk with the wine of our fornication, those that have drunk deeply of that false spirituality. And I think when I read that, you know, I think it's just as likely to mean the, the, the nations that are under the sway of Islam as it is to mean the nations that, under, that are under the sway of Rome. But the point is that he's talking about during these days that there will be a connection between national advantage and false religion. And Babylon is, we're told, is the, the woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which is full of blasphemous names. There's so much, so many images here. Uh, you know, we, we do live in a very blasphemous age. People just say horrible things about God and his Christ. But it's, the, it, it's this, this prostitute drenched in the blood of his saints, the persecution of people riding this beast. And, and uh uh, again, remember when, when some people were writing about the, in the past about their own personal contemporary events, that, that, that they were writing and reflecting on some of the issues that had taken place in their time or things that they hadn't seen before. You know, for example, you got things like the Inquisition and they say, oh, there was lots of blood shed during the Inquisition. And so they, they, they imposed that on the Roman Catholic Church uh, and, and because the issues seem to be clear in the book of Revelation to them. However, the issues, those issues are not as clear and they're not contemporary to us anymore. So uh, just to say, be cautious when you're teaching the book of Revelation or when you're listening to somebody else teaching it, be cautious that you don't allow an imposition on the text where your contemporary history is dictating its meaning. You know, let, let the scripture speak for itself. I want you to look at verse 9, chapter 18. It's an intriguing verse. The kings of the earth who have committed adultery and lived luxurious, luxuriously with her will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke of her burning. You know, uh, back in the days of the Iraqi war, which, you know, it still feels like it was very recent to me, but that's been quite some time now. Uh, but uh, there were people, I don't know if you realize this, there were people who were weeping and wailing and mourning over the fall of Saddam Hussein uh, because of financial issues. There, there were ways in which Saddam Hussein remaining in power was financially advantageous to them and to their nation. So 
So the point is that there will always be nations and people that will look to profit, even from the most wicked, horrible, blasphemous, nasty, spiritual fornication imaginable. There will be a connection between false religion and civil authority. That's what I think he's talking about here. Now this, and this is all going to lead to something, trust me, just hang, hang on for the ride. Now this religious evil rides on this beast, it says. But then at some point, the beast turns, and it's in chapter 17, the beast turns and tears the woman apart and eats her, devours her. Now listen to this. Here, here is a prevailing truth. When civil authority, geopolitical, military authority, when political authority and false religion connect, that false religion will ride that political authority for a while, and then at some point or, no, or another, kings and princes and civil authorities and political authorities will hate that religious authority and turn on it. They will hate it and despise it and kill it, and that happens over and over and over and over again. You know, you, you may not know, but there is a huge, deep conflict between secular Arab nations and Islamic nations. It cuts right straight through the Arab world and through the Islamic world from Indonesia all the way to Saudi Arabia. At some point or another, those things, the, the, the religion, the false religion and the, and the government can be meshed as it is now in Iran. We see that in the country, in the nation of Iran. You see the, the religion, the false religion and the government being meshed, meshed together. Now in Iraq, back before it fell, Iraq was not an Islamic nation. It was a military dictatorship. And, and that's why Iran and Iraq were always at war with each other. I don't know if you remember back in those days, because the Islamic people in Iraq hated and despised Saddam Hussein because they wanted to see Sharia law. They, they wanted to, to see what they had in Iran being in Iraq. They, they wanted to see Islamic law and Islamic leaders running the nation. Now, uh, all this to say, I'm not saying that Islam is, is this, this, this spirit. It's, I'm not saying Islam is any of the ten horns. What I'm telling you is that it is a great truth that there will be times when government and religion will combine in a desperate and terrible way, and then at some point or another, they will divide, and then one will want to kill the other. Now, it talks about these mysteries. In chapter 18, it says that Babylon has fallen and her wealth has, has been laid waste in a single hour. Now again, if you, need, if you read the book of Revelation literally, you're going to hurt yourself. One hour, it, when you're speaking prophetically, does not mean 60 minutes. Exactly, precisely. One hour means a season. Or, or a moment in history. One hour in the Bible means a time. So he's saying there is going to come a time when all of this is going to stop. And it, and it talks about these seven mountains. Again, you know, so many neo-evangelical and neo-orthodox scholars make so much over the seven hills of Rome. It has to be the Vatican, they say. You know, the, the great prostitute has to be the Vatican because it says that the great prostitute sits on seven mountains and Rome, as we all know, sits on seven hills. Well, yeah, listen, you know, there's so many things in so many different ways you can translate and you can interpret different ideas prophetically. And you, you can find so many different ways to interpret so many different things in scripture that it, it would make your head spin. You know, you, you honestly, you could start a, an entire denomination 
based on the meaning of the 12 baskets that were left over at the feeding of, five, of the 5,000. And you would have a lot of people that would follow you because they believe that somehow you've got this great insight. So, so don't, get, don't get hung up on numerology. Don't get hung up on saying, well, it's seven hills and lateral hills or any of these things. You know, you know don't get caught up on the numerology, you know, taking the page number divided by the number of the text and multiply by the, the five loaves and two fishes and divide by the number of the pyramids. It's just, you know, you do that sort of thing. And you hear people do those crazy kind of things. But when you do that, it's going to lead you into all kinds of goofy little rabbit trails and some really weird stuff. But that we got to remember with the book of Revelation, that's not at all the point. The point is not the seven mountains. The point is, is not the great mysteries. The point is not the ten horns. The point is not the, the beast. The point is not any of those things. Uh, the, the number seven, when you talk about the seven mountains, it speaks of completion, totality. Mountains in, in prophecy speak of authority and power and kingdoms. So it just means that a full number of nations over which this, this, this whoring mystery spirit of Babylon rules in totality. As I said, it could be no Islam, it, it, and I'm not saying it is Islam. It could be just as easily mean the secular, secularized devotion to money, and, and, and it could mean this weird secular arise new age religion that's happening in modern uh, Europe, especially there. You know, you hear somebody call Africa the dark continent. Well, Africa is not the dark continent. Africa is on fire with revival. The dark continent is Europe. That's the place where the gospel is very hard to, to preach. I'm just saying to you that in Revelation, we're seeing that there will come a moment when the mountains of the earth, what does that mean? The powers of the earth, the authorities of the earth, the kingdoms of the earth, upon which this witchcraft spirit of fornication and evil rules and reigns over the kings of the earth, there will come a moment when it is judged, when it is burned and when it is destroyed and its power is destroyed. That's what he's saying here. So, so don't panic when there is some dark force that seems to be gaining power or influence. I, you know, you hear Christians all the time. They're just so worried about, about what's going to happen in our culture, what's going to happen in our nation. Well, I'm going to tell you that there's going to be a lot of bad things that are going to happen. Just don't panic. Don't panic. The point of the book of Revelation is to say to you, even if evil seems to win the day, that's just now. That's only for now. Judgment is coming. God's kingdom is coming. The, the point of the book of Revelation is to uplift you. The point of the book of Revelation is to encourage you. The point of the book of Revelation is to say that when nations and kings and powers and religions rise and fall, when you see the earth begin to open and produce dragons and beasts and kings and nightmare principalities, one man sees horror in all of that, but another man sees the approaching advance of Christ. I'm not terrified by any of these things. I'm not frightened for the coming of the beast. Christ, you know, Christians, they're, they're just amazing to me. With, with the hope of God, 
with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the blood of Jesus washing away our sins, with our names written in the Lamb's book of life, with, with all the promises of the Old and the New Testaments, with the law and with the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself telling us that he's going to break open the eastern sky and that we're going to cast off gravity and rise to meet him in the air and we'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. We still live in, a, in, in guilt and common, condemnation over the past and terror over the future. There are Christians all over the place just living in fear. And I think we've seen that amplified over these past two years. People living in absolute stark raving fear. You know, it's, it's, it's almost been amazing to me with uh, all the whole COVID thing. You know, because we, we're like, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to live forever with him. And when this life is over, I'm going to be with Jesus. And I can't wait. And then COVID comes along <laughs> we got Christians that are scared to go outside of their house because they're afraid they're going to get sick and die. Well, I thought what we were like with what Paul said, where he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It, why am I afraid of that? Is, that's a good thing, right? That's a step up. And my life is in the hands of the Lord. I don't have to worry about when my time is going to, when he's ready for me to come home, I'm going to come home. But, but, but we just live in this fear, you know? There, there was this lady that rushed up to a preacher, pr pretty well-known preacher, and she, she recognized him, and, and she said, you need this. And he said, I, I do. And, and, and she, she gave him this pamphlet, and he looked at the pamphlet, and it was all about the, the American government was building concentration camps in Wyoming and putting Christians in them, and nobody knows about it. I mean, think, think about that now. Wyoming. And so he said to her, sister, th this is goofy. There are no concentration camps in Wyoming. And she's, well, have you been? <laughs> he said, well, let me just tell you that I have a word from God. There are no concentration camps in Wyoming. You know, we just get caught up in this weird stuff and just don't get caught up in this stuff. Don't panic. Don't worry. Even if they were building them, what are we going to do about it? Well, we're going to keep doing what we do. We're going to keep preaching the gospel. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep reading the Bible. We're going to keep living our lives as if we are children of God. That's, that's what we're going to do. It doesn't change anything. You know, people get caught up. Here's the beast. There's the beast. Here's this war. Here's that. There's that war. Here's the false prophet. Well, I just want you to know, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I didn't know back in 2019 that the next year held a pandemic. I didn't know last year that we were going to have war in, in, in Ukraine this year. And I don't know where we're going to be next year. Almost makes me afraid, you know. You, after the last two years, you think, well, what else could happen, right? I don't know what we're going to win and what we're going to lose or who is going to rise or who is going to fall. But what I do know is that none of it scares me. None of it scares me. I'm not frightened of the Antichrist. I, I, I'm not afraid of the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. If all three of them appeared in this church today, I would look at them and I would say, I tremble not for thee. You are going to burn with Babylon. There is a place prepared for you. I tremble not for thee. Will we go through hard times? Will we face persecution? Will we live through nightmares? Yes. 
Yeah, we will. That's part of being in this world. But just like Gene, after he was released from prison, when others saw a gray and dismal day on the steps of the federal penitentiary, Gene saw the, the hour of his deliverance. And he tasted the sweet rain on his tongue after nearly half a century in, of incarceration. And there are others, there are going to be always going to be others that will say, oh, oh my, oh my, this is the Antichrist, this is the Antichrist. And you're going to say, yes, lift up your eyes. Your redemption draweth nigh. What are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? Well, let's, let's conclude. Look at, look at chapter 19. This is the main point I wanted to get to tonight. The four hallelujahs. Chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, after all of that, after all of these things, I heard a great sound of many people in heaven. We're going to pause there for a second. Look. The, the book of Revelation is a succession of pictures. Bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, really good, really bad, great, wonderful. Then it just sort of, you know, it just goes on and it ends. That's basically the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation says, see this? Look how horrible that is. Okay, now look at this one. Isn't that great? See this? Isn't that scary? Now watch this. Isn't that beautiful? Look at this one. Isn't that horrible? It scares the wits out of me, doesn't it you? Now watch this. That's Jesus. There's Jesus. See the dragon? See this beast? Now watch this. Here's a lamb standing on Mount Zion. So you, so you go through all this thing about the fall of Babylon, the, the great prostitute, these nations, these kings, these horns, these mountains, all of these things. And you get to the end of it and it's all been so, so, it's just so unsettling and frightening and scary of all these things that are going to be happening. And they're all, they, none of them sound good at all. And so at the end of it all, you just say, Lord, I, I don't even want to look at this anymore. And he says, wait a minute, you forgot the pattern here. It's bad. But then if you look up, there's something good coming. He says, well, and then he goes to verse one of chapter 19. He says, well, after these things, I heard a great sound of many people in heaven shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Listen, this, this prostitute spirit of bondage that holds the world in hostage, what is it? it, it is it false religion? Well, look, look, at, look at chapter 18, verse 23, the second half of that verse. It says, for your merchants were the great men of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. You, you see that, that word sorcery? In that verse, the word that's translated sorcery in the Greek, the Greek word is pharmakeia. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's the word from which we get our word pharmacy or, or, or drugs. And it's not clear in that passage whether the bondage of, of, the, of the witchcraft spirit of mystery Babylon is false religion or religion mixed with politics or magic or witchcraft or drugs. And the answer is yes. All of it. 
There is a prostitute spirit loose in the world that that rules the nations and commits fornication with the principalities and powers of the nations and and the wine of that fornication and orgiastic evil flows in, in humanity. But there's going to come a time, this is what's point here, there's going to come a time when the righteous judgment of God will judge it and we will hear the voice in heaven say, hallelujah, for his judgments are true and holy. He won't take a bribe. He, he's not going to cheat. He sees the truth. All of those other things will be burned up. And that's the first hallelujah, the, 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 which, which is in verse 1. Hallelujah, he says. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God for true and, and holy, pure, pure and righteous are his judgments. We shout hallelujah because of the character and nature of God's great power. He is a God of salvation, not of death. He is a God of glory, not of horror. He is a God of honor, not of witchcraft bondage. He is a God of power. He is not impotent. He is the Lord our God. Then the second hallelujah. Look at verse 3. Again they said, hallelujah. Her smoke rises forever and ever. The second hallelujah is about the righteous judgment of God. Now, now listen, I want you to hear this. There, there is a conflict. We talked about this. I don't remember if it was last week or the week before. Everything all just runs together. You can figure it out. It was, but, uh, but there's a conflict in our most spiritual place, in, in that place where your soul and spirit touch and that sort of synapse of our deepest spirituality. We are conflicted. There is a part of us that wants to see everything redeemed, everything saved, every person saved, everything cleansed, everything purified. However, there's another part of us that longs and needs to see vindication for God. There's a part of us that cries out like the blood under the altar in chapter six is that we cry out, how long, O oh Lord? How long are you gonna let this go on? And there's a part of us that wants God to, to delay and to hold off until more sinners can be saved and redeemed. But, but there's another part of us that wants to say, oh God, please come now. Deal with this. There's a part of us that feels deep inside of us that we ought not to gloat when somebody else or something else comes to judgment. But then there's another part of us that wants to see, longs to see, will see Satan forced to his knees, bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, be bound in chains and thrown into the sea of fire. When him who, was, who has accused us and tortured us and tormented us, uh, along with the beast and the, and the false prophet and the great prostitute that have, that have held our young people in the bondage of drugs and pornography and witchcraft and evil and committed fornication with the geopolitical forces of the earth and terrorized and tortured the church will be bound and judged. And there's part of us that wants to see it happen. We'll see it happen. And we will say hallelujah for the righteous judgment of God. It is righteous. The third hallelujah is in verse 4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. The third hallelujah is the unified praise of heaven and earth. The church militant below, the church triumphant above, and all of the angels and the creatures of heaven 
The third hallelujah is that God is the center of unbroken praise. The fourth hallelujah is in verse six. Then I heard something like the sound, uh, like, the, like a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And the fourth hallelujah is because of the final, ultimate kingdom of God, the wickedness of every nation, every false religion, the fornication of all of our adulterous religious practices, drugs, all of the kingdoms of the earth, all of the nastiness that humanity can produce, it will all be washed away and the kingdom of our God will be established. Hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Hallelujah for the Lord God almighty reigns. He will reign over, over everything. The four hallelujahs. The works and character of God's power, the righteous judgment of God. God is the center of unbroken praise, and God in omnipotent lordship. Then it says, when that's established, when, when that's all done, look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Now, who's the Lamb? Jesus is the lamb. Who's the bride? The church. And I'm not talking about the church or people who go into a church building. Those that have surrendered their life to Christ, they are the church. They are the bride of Christ. And, and here's the terrible paradox. Uh, listen to this as, as we close. There, there are those who will plunge into a godless eternity weeping and wailing and howling in horror and it is not a happy thought it we take no joy in that there's something about that 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 is horrible and terrible as people plunge off into a godless eternity howling in the night at their eternal damnation it's absolutely horrible to us however at the same time there's another part of us that says hallelujah Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns, and it's time finally for the marriage supper of the Lamb. When suddenly the whole assembled universe will stand and will tri triumphantly begin to sing, here comes the bride. It's the great, terrible, horrible, wonderful, marvelous, fantastic, majestic, frightening, encouraging paradox of the book of Revelation. In, in the most terrifying moment you can imagine, suddenly the omnipotent lordship of God in his eternal reign and purity is established and his bride comes into his presence ready and prepared. The four hallelujahs. Hallelujah for, for the works and power of God's great character. Hallelujah for his righteous judgment. God cannot be fooled. God cannot be bribed. Hallelujah, for God is the center of unbroken cosmic praise. Hallelujah, for the omnipotent lordship of God that opens the door for a prepared bride to enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah, 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 for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad. This is the day of our salvation. Why don't you just close your eyes and, and just lift your hands up right now and just begin to say it with me. Would you say it? Say hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
When there is war and famine and pestilence, what do we say to these things? Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. When, when, when the seven seals begin to break open and we see things that are too horrible to see, what do we say to these things? Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. When we see all the horrors of this earth and Satan is trying to destroy our faith and there is persecution and martyrs and the blood of the saints runs in the streets, we can still say in that moment, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Praise him now in this place. Would you stand? Would you raise your hands in and, and just begin to worship him in this place. We're not afraid of war. We're not afraid of princes or kings or famine or pestilence or any other thing. Hallelujah. We praise you, almighty God. We know that you are the, the ruler of all. We know that you are coming. We know that, Lord God, even as we see these horrible things taking place, it's a reminder to us that there is a day, the moment of our final salvation is coming. And, Lord God, we rejoice at the marriage supper of the, love, uh, of the Lamb. And we rejoice, God, because we know that the Lord God Almighty reigns. And we give you praise and, and we give you glory in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.